0: Chapter twenty five of the House on the Borderland This Librivox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Alan Winterout The House on the Borderland by William Hope Hodgson. Chapter twenty five The Thing from the Arena This morning early I went through the gardens, but found everything as usual. Near the door I examined the path for footprints, yet here again there was nothing to tell me whether or not I dreamed last night. It was only when I came to speak to the dog that I discovered tangible proof that something did happen. When I went to his kennel, he kept inside, crouching up in one corner, and I had to coax him to get him out. When finally he consented to come, it was in a strangely cowed and subdued manner. As I patted him, my attention was attracted to a greenish patch on his left flank. On examining it, I found that the fur and skin had been apparently burnt off, for the flesh showed raw and scorched. The shape of the mark was curious, reminding me of the imprint of a large talon or hand. I stood up thoughtful. My gaze wandered toward the study window. The rays of the rising sun shimmered on the smoky patch in the lower corner, causing it to fluctuate from green to red oddly. Ah, that was undoubtedly another proof and suddenly the horrible thing I saw last night rose in my mind I looked at the dog again I knew the cause now of that hateful looking wound on his side I knew also that what I had seen last night had been a real happening and a great discomfort filled me pepper tip and now this poor animal I glanced at the dog again and noticed that he was licking at his wound Poor brute, I muttered, and went to pat his head. At that, he got up on his feet, nosing and licking my hand wistfully. Presently I left him, having other matters to which to attend. After dinner, I went to see him again. He seemed quiet and disinclined to leave his kennel. From my sister I have learned that he has refused all food today. She appeared a little puzzled when she told me though quite unsuspicious of anything of which to be afraid. The day has passed uneventfully enough. After tea I went again to have a look at the dog. He seemed moody and somewhat restless, yet persisted in remaining in his kennel. Before locking up for the night, I moved his kennel out away from the wall so that I shall be able to watch it from the small window to-night. The thought came to me to bring him into the house for the night, but consideration has decided me to let him remain out I cannot say that the house is in any degree less to be feared than the gardens pepper was in the house and yet it is now two o'clock since eight I have watched the kennel from the small side window of my study yet nothing has occurred and I am too tired to watch longer I will go to bed during the night I was restless this is unusual for me BUT TOWARD MORNING I OBTAINED A FEW HOURS SLEEP. I ROSE EARLY AND, AFTER BREAKFAST, VISITED THE DOG. HE WAS QUIET BUT MOROSE, AND REFUSED TO LEAVE HIS KENNEL. I WISH THERE WAS SOME HORSE DOCTOR NEAR, I WOULD HAVE THE POOR BRUTE looked TO. ALL DAY HE HAS TAKEN NO FOOD, BUT HE HAS SHOWN AN EVIDENT DESIRE FOR WATER, LAPPING IT UP greedily. I WAS RELIEVED TO OBSERVE THIS. THE EVENING HAS COME AND I AM IN MY STUDY. I intend to follow my plan of last night and watch the kennel. The door leading into the garden is bolted securely. I am consciously glad there are bars to the window. Night. Midnight is gone. The dog has been silent up to the present. Through the side window on my left I can make out dimly the outlines of the kennel. For the first time the dog moves, and I hear the rattle of his chain. I look out quickly. As I stare, The dog moves again restlessly, and I see a small patch of luminous light shine from the interior of the kennel. It vanishes, then the dog stirs again, and once more the gleam comes. I am puzzled. The dog is quiet, and I can see the luminous thing plainly. It shows distinctly. There is something familiar about the shape of it. For a moment I wonder, then it comes to me that it is not unlike the four fingers and thumb of a hand, like a hand. And i remember the contour of that fearsome wound on the dog's side it must be the wound i see it is luminous at night why the minutes pass my mind is filled with this fresh thing suddenly i hear a sound out in the gardens how it thrills through me it is approaching pad 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 a prickly sensation traverses my spine and seems to creep across my scalp the dog moves in his kennel and whimpers frightenedly. He must have turned round, for now I can no longer see the outline of his shining wound. Outside the gardens are silent once more, and I listen fearfully. A minute passes, and another, then I hear the padding sound again. It is quite close and appears to be coming down the gravelled path. The noise is curiously measured and deliberate. It ceases outside the door and i rise to my feet and stand motionless from the door comes a slight sound the latch is being slowly raised a singing noise is in my ears and i have a sense of pressure about the head the latch drops with a sharp click into the catch the noise startles me afresh jarring horribly on my tense nerves after that i stand for a long while amid an ever-growing quietness all at once my knees begin to tremble and I have to sit quickly. An uncertain period of time passes, and gradually I begin to shake off the feeling of terror that has possessed me. Yet still I sit. I seem to have lost the power of movement. I am strangely tired and inclined to doze. My eyes open and close and presently I find myself falling asleep and waking in fits and starts. It is some time later that I am sleepily aware that one of the candles is guttering. When I wake again, it has gone out, and the room is very dim, under the light of the one remaining flame. The semi-darkness troubles me little. I have lost that awful sense of dread, and my only desire seems to be to sleep. Sleep. Suddenly, although there is no noise, I am awake, wide awake. I am acutely conscious of the nearness of some mystery of some overwhelming presence. The very air seems pregnant with terror. I sit huddled and just listen intently. Still there is no sound. Nature herself seems dead. Then the oppressive stillness is broken by a little eldritch scream of wind that sweeps round the house and dies away remotely. I let my gaze wander across the half-lighted room. By the great clock in the far corner is a dark, tall shadow. For a short instant I stare, frightenedly, then I see that it is nothing, and am momentarily relieved. In the time that follows, the thought flashes through my brain, why not leave this house, this house of mystery and terror? Then as though in answer there sweeps up, across my sight, a vision of the wondrous sea of sleep, the sea of sleep where she and I have been allowed to meet, after the years of separation and sorrow and I know that I shall stay on here whatever happens. Through the side window, I note the somber blackness of the night. My glance wanders away and round the room, resting on one shadowy object and another. Suddenly, I turn and look at the window on my right. As I do so, I breathe quickly and bend forward with a frightened gaze at something outside the window, but close to the bars. I am looking at a vast, misty swine face over which fluctuates a flamboyant flame of a greenish hue. It is the thing from the arena. The quivering mouth seems to drip with a continual phosphorescent slaver. The eyes are staring straight into the room with an inscrutable expression. Thus I sit rigidly, frozen. The thing has begun to move. It is turning slowly in my direction. Its face is coming round towards me. It sees me two huge inhumanly human eyes are looking through the dimness of me i am cold with fear yet even now i am keenly conscious and note in an irrelevant way that the distant stars are blotted out by the mass of the giant face a fresh horror has come to me i am rising from my chair without the least intention i am on my feet and something is impelling me toward the door that leads out into the gardens i wish to stop but cannot Some immutable power is opposed to my will, and I go slowly forward, unwilling and resistant. My glance flies round the room, hopelessly, and stops at the window. The great swine face has disappeared, and I hear again that stealthy pad, pad, pad. It stops outside the door, the door toward which I am being compelled. There succeeds a short, intense silence. Then there comes a sound. It is the rattle of the latch being slowly lifted. At that, I am filled with desperation. I will not go forward another step. I make a vast effort to return, but it is as though I press back upon an invisible wall. I groan out loud in the agony of my fear, and the sound of my voice is frightening. Again comes that rattle, and I shiver, clamily. I try, I fight and struggle to hold back, back, but it is no use. I am at the door, and in a mechanical way I watch my hand go forward to undo the topmost bolt. It does so entirely without my volition. Even as I reach up toward the bolt, the door is violently shaken, and I get a sickly whiff of moldy air, which seems to drive in through the interstices of the doorway. I draw the bolt back slowly, fighting dumbly the while. It comes out of its socket with a click, and I begin to shake aguishly. There are two more. One at the bottom of the door, the other a massive affair, is placed about the middle. For perhaps a minute I stand with my arms hanging slackly by my sides. The influence to meddle with the fastening of the door seems to have gone. All at once there comes the sudden rattle of iron at my feet. I glance down quickly and realize, with an unspeakable terror, that my foot is pushing back the lower bolt. An awful sense of helplessness assails me. The bolt comes out of its hold with a slight ringing sound and I stagger on my feet, grasping at the great central bolt for support. A minute passes, an eternity, then another. My God help me, I am being forced to work upon the last fastening. I will not. Better to die than to open to the terror that is on the other side of the door. Is there no escape? God help me, I have jerked the bolt half out of its socket my lips emit a hoarse scream of terror. The bolt is three parts drawn now, and still my unconscious hands work towards my doom. Only a fraction of steel between my soul and that. Twice I scream out in a supreme agony of my fear. Then, with a mad effort, I tear my hands away. My eyes seem blinded. A great blackness is falling upon me. Nature has come to my rescue. I feel my knees giving, There is a loud, quick thudding upon the door, and I am falling, falling. I must have lain there at least a couple of hours. As I recover, I am aware that the other candle is burnt out, and the room is in an almost total darkness. I cannot rise to my feet, for I am cold and filled with a terrible cramp. Yet my brain is clear, and there is no longer the strain of that unholy influence. Cautiously, I get upon my knees and feel for the central bolt. I find it and push it securely back into its socket, then the one at the bottom of the door. By this time I am able to rise to my feet, and so manage to secure the fastening at the top. After that, I go down upon my knees again and creep away among the furniture, in the direction of the stairs. By doing this, I am safe from observation from the window. I reach the opposite door, and as I leave the study, cast one nervous glance over my shoulder toward the window. Out in the night, I seem to catch a glimpse of something impalpable, but it may only be a fancy. Then I am in the passage and on the stairs. Reaching my bedroom, I clamber into bed, all clothed as I am, and pull the bedclothes over me. There, after a while, I begin to regain a little confidence. It is impossible to sleep, but I am grateful for the added warmth of the bedclothes presently i try to think over the happenings of the past night but though i cannot sleep i find that it is useless to attempt consecutive thought my brain seems curiously blank toward morning i begin to toss uneasily i cannot rest and after a while i get out of bed and pace the floor the wintry dawn is beginning to creep through the windows and shows the bare discomfort of the old room strange that through all these years It has never occurred to me how dismal this place really is, and so a time passes. From somewhere downstairs a sound comes up to me. I go to the bedroom door and listen. It is Mary, bustling about the great old kitchen, getting the breakfast ready. I feel little interest, I am not hungry. My thoughts, however, continue to dwell upon her. How little the weird happenings in this house seem to trouble her, except in the incident of the pit creatures. She has seemed unconscious of anything unusual occurring. She is old, like myself, yet how little we have to do with one another. Is it because we have nothing in common, or only that, being old, we care less for society than quietness? These and other matters pass through my mind as I meditate, and help to distract my attention for a while from the oppressive thoughts of the night. After a time I go to the window and, opening it, look out. The sun is now above the horizon, and the air, though cold, is sweet and crisp. Gradually my brain clears, and a sense of security for the time being comes to me. Somewhat happier, I go downstairs and out into the garden to have a look at the dog. As I approach the kennel, I am greeted by the same moldy stench that assailed me at the door last night. Shaking off a momentary sense of fear, I call to the dog, but he takes no heed. And after calling once more, I throw a small stone into the kennel. At this he moves uneasily, and I shout his name again, but do not go closer. Presently my sister comes out and joins me in trying to coax him from the kennel. In a little the poor beast rises and shambles out lurching queerly. In the daylight he stands swaying from side to side and blinking stupidly. I look and note that the horned wound is larger, much larger and seems to have a whitish, fungoid appearance. My sister moves to fondle him, but I detain her, and explain that I think it will be better not to go too near him for a few days. It is impossible to tell what might be the matter with him, and it is well to be cautious. A moment later she leaves me, coming back with a basin of odd scraps of food. This she places on the ground near the dog, and I push it into his reach with the aid of a branch broken from one of the shrubs. Yet, though the meat should be tempting, he takes no notice of it but retires to his kennel. There is still water in his drinking vessel, so, after a few moments' talk, we go back into the house. I can see that my sister is much puzzled as to what is the matter with the animal, yet it would be madness even to hint the truth to her. The day slips away uneventfully, and night comes on. I have determined to repeat my experiment of last night. I cannot say that it is wisdom, yet my mind is made up. Still, however, I have taken precautions, for I have driven stout nails in the back of each of the three bolts that secure the door, opening them from the study into the garden. This will, I at least, prevent a recurrence of the danger I ran last night. From ten to about two-thirty I watch, but nothing occurs, and finally I stumble off to bed, where I am soon asleep. End of chapter twenty-five Recording by Alan Winteroud, boomcoach.blogspot.com.